So this is about 20 minutes into us actually talking about <laughs> stuff that I definitely do not want on the internet because frankly, I'm emotional. A lot of people are emotional. We've been going through tough stuff. And um, I was, you know, the conversation started where, you know, Sophie was saying thank you for the support. And I was apologizing for not attending a screening last week, which I didn't attend because I needed to get out of town, honestly. Um, I needed to not be socializing. I needed to not be in conversations that have been tough at this moment. Um, and uh, then Ruben and Sophie asked me if this is a conversation that we should be having right now. And I said, absolutely. I said, we have to, because if we don't, you know, this is why we're alive. This is what we care about. This is the, this is the good stuff. We want to make movies and share them with people and talk about them and, and, distill things and feel more. That's why we live. So if we skip that because we're so depressed from the stuff going on in the world, then really we've lost. So I'm very happy to have this conversation. I'm very happy your movie is out. I'm very happy it's getting the response it's getting. It's gotten huge theatrical response, huge digital response, great reviews. Congrats all around. I mean, it won South by Southwest, which is old news now, but, um, you know, it's getting such a wonderful response and congrats. Oh, thank you, Sean. Thank you for, for having us. And it is really nice to sort of like take a, take a moment out, outside of the very heated discourse and, and horrors of this moment in time to um, talk about another issue, which is very, very, very pertinent, although it may seem sort of small in the scale of the, the current atrocities. It is something which is causing a lot of harm on a wide scale uh, worldwide. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're very happy to be on and talk about our movie and talk about the issues that our movie sort of pertains to. Um, so, yeah, thank you. We'll still yeah, be definitely. Well, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much for, yeah, giving of yourself both to this film and in, in all senses. And we were just talking about like the costs of doing this kind of work and also the, you know, wh what I was saying is that quite a lot of people have said to us, like, why did you spend basically like, three months on 4chan? <laughs> because what you find on these forums where, you know, deep fakes are made and traded is really dark and it's really depressing. And it's like a window into forces of misogyny and homophobia and racism that we know are there, but then when you see it spelled out in real, you know, person's voice and the way that the the bravado and the ease at which horrendous language, horrendous objectification it is used, like it is really chilling to see that. But I think it feels so important and that is why it feels so important to express that and bring that to the world because, what happens if we just turn away and we don't look? It's like those voices win and those voices get stronger and those voices never learn or, or never meet up against that tension that makes them even begin to question what they're doing. And like we've really seen in tracking, you know, these forums, the, the way that they function as like a tool for radicalization. Like, you could, you know, you can see even in the, the perpetrator that the film ultimately follows, you can see that progression. It was so weird and surreal to watch somebody's kind of innermost 
thoughts via their like browser history, like over tracking that over a series of years when we were doing like really detailed research into, into this person and to see how someone starts with, you know, celebrating somebody else's deep faking work and then moves into the phase of like bravado. And there's this queasy, bizarre, like male social bonding that comes within it where there's like a, almost like holding each other up it, this almost like shadow community of of brotherhood and of solidarity i guess which is you know you could argue is maybe what's missing in other spaces which makes these spaces so appealing but it's so inverted and it's built built on a foundation of genuinely not seeing female bodies as you know human or, or, or as real and i think that that's why it felt we ended up being like maybe bizarrely we definitely got desensitized but we were also like very galvanized by bringing this to light and and kind of yeah making sure that 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 these spaces aren't just brewing and bubbling and getting bigger and bigger because what we've also witnessed is that deep faking as a practice has gone from like a couple of people on a small forum thinking are we even going to be a community or will the authorities quote unquote like come for us to you know the sites like mrdeepfakes.com the biggest deepfake on on the internet getting four million hits a month being commercialized being a business model being effective as a you know consumer facing website like organization um so yeah it it's there is something weirdly empowering about looking at the the darkest and the hardest um things when it's in a context of standing shoulder to shoulder with the people that are being affected and and ensuring that their voices are the the voice the like loudest voices in the room yeah and you know there's an interesting question as well that some people have like said to me being like oh are you not concerned that by raising awareness of this, this issue you're just going to drive more people to these communities and to to these videos and it is something that i think we've we've thought about you know like how can we make sure what we're doing is going to sort of affect material change and not that, like, just increase, the increase right. the, yeah I, Right. Yeah. And, you know, I like I there's a really interesting discussion going on in the YouTube comments of our trailer um, right right now. I'm like I'm an obsessive checker. That's like kind of my addictive personality trait is like checking uh, analytics. No, that's cool. It's like, stuff it's like stuff studio, like that. The studio um, and stuff and like it's right there, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And, and it's like this. It's like kind of, you know, it really mirrors discussions that we had as a team. Um, you know, some of them, some of like one of the comments being very pessimistic, being like, this is just, you know, such a waste of waste of time, you know, like why, why, why would you do this? More people are just going to see these videos because of it. And I just want to get the user's name because I want to shout them out. I, you might have just heard the beginning of the trailer a second ago because I wanted to get it up so I could do that. But uh, um, Futuristic Girl 14 is like really just has done such a good argument to, to explain that, like, if nothing, as Sophie says, if nothing has, if nothing is done, if no one addresses this issue, it is just going to grow. And there's a risk and take that is uh, involved in sort of raising uh, raising light on any issue because more people will go see, will hear about this documentary and go see deepfake porn videos for the first time. But if we don't sort of shine a light on it, then, then nothing is going to change. They're not going to be legalized. The culture is not going to sort of shift, and these like digital online digital harms against women are just going to continue to to go. And so, uh, yeah, um, we we spent four months on 4chan to try and. Uh, lift the lid, shine a light on it, and you know, uh, stymie the sort of flow of people into these communities rather than to um, 
well they, do, they don't need our help to grow the community yeah, is like exactly, expanding yeah. exponentially already like that's that's happening and it's happening with the support of major tech firms you know if you google um how to harm a cat you are sent you're kind of redirected to like anti you know animal animal abuse pages if you google how to deepfake my girlfriend you will get unlimited you know endless tutorials and like you'll be directed directly to deepfake websites so you know we're like the that there is a huge infrastructure of people that are allowing this um this issue to grow and like not providing you know the the cost or any visibility into the cost yeah, I know we're just like not, but like even like Google is really just driving people to to cre uh, create and watch deepfakes. Like if you Google watch another body online on Google right now, you don't make any mention of the word deepfake. The search results is predominantly are predominantly tutorials on YouTube on how to sort of like deepfake and applications that will user friendly applications for for deepfaking. That's without any mention of the word deepfake. It's just the name of the film and watch online, um, and so we're not the ones who are driving the most traffic towards deep faking. I mean, we're just trying to do something uh, uh, to, to, to stop the, the companies like Google, which are doing everything in their power um, to get people to start deep faking. So I mean, everything in their power is a little bit hyperbolic. I do get that, but um, aren't doing anything to try and prevent the, the flow of people into uh, deep fake creation and, and um, um, websites. I mean, it's also, you have to talk about context and demographics. It's like you're making a documentary that premiered at film festivals and plays at, you know, IFC Center and Langley and stuff like that. The people who are coming upon that are coming upon that with a, with a significantly different pattern of thought and context than the Google searches for, you know, how do I revenge porn somebody? Yeah. I yeah, think... I think that it's very important to note, and it's something you know that I've recognized with like our previous conversation before we recorded. Um, we kind of take for granted awareness. Like, you know, I showed the preview at my short set the other night, and um, I don't think like the average person really has any idea about this. And I think that maybe we take for granted that that they do, and mm -hmm. so. The default, you know, is this important? Is this necessary? And I don't know what's what's been your your experience with like awareness generally. Do people? I, yeah, it's shocking, and there are a lot of people that haven't heard about it. And I think when you're like, you know, three years, four years into making this film, particularly, you know, what making it through the pandemic and doing lots of like remote production, where ultimately our lives became very small through the production of this film, we weren't encountering as many people as we normally would. Um, but our life was like totally saturated with the idea of deep fakes. Like when we emerged out of that, we just kind of assumed that everyone was aware of this this issue now. And so when finally we started showing it to people and people because we came back and being like, I had never heard of this technology or like I'd just seen, you know, Nicolas Cage's face put on Arnold Schwarzenegger's body and not realizing that this was like a big, uh, like a massive violence against issue women. Uh, violence against women issue. Sorry, I did not sleep much last night. I, um, uh, violence against women issue it was it was I mean first of all it was like it was kind of like it was shocking but it was really really in, invigorating and inspiring so like wow this film's actually going to do like a lot of work to um to raise awareness and and hopefully try and channel people into to activism to change to change the laws um and one thing I think you encounter on these forums but you even encounter in, like speaking to people about this issue is 
so many people because it is a virtual crime like it's you know a few clicks of a button on a computer they just don't understand that this you know has real world impact like psychologically um but even you know physically like people people's like lives physically change if they're being targeted by this this form of abuse which we hope our documentary elucidates um and so by seeing the sort of film you understand that this isn't a victimless crime just because you're not sort of uh, in front of the person at the time you're you're uh, taking their identity you're putting it into a into a into a pornographic context without their consent and you're violating them and that violation reverberates across a life and so that's really really important to for for people to become aware of and, and we hope the film um uh, is is effective at doing that yeah and i cannot really stress enough the extent of the silencing that we have had to witness and understand in in engaging with this issue because this is happening on such a big scale like the numbers of deep fakes now are really you know in their millions and as we said like there are forums where there are you know countless 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 women predominantly celebrities or like YouTubers, but this is not like only kind of A-list stars, which, you know, we vehemently um, support their rights to not be deepfaked as well. Like it really goes, you know, our sub advocacy is for everyone, but it's kind of got to a point where like, if you are a woman in the public eye, you're more likely to have been deepfaked than not. And, that sometimes is not people that have the kind of infrastructures around them that some of the like biggest names do. You know, that's like YouTubers, smaller YouTubers or politicians or et cetera, et cetera. I have told, it, it's literally, I, I've, it's happened to me. Not yeah. the way no one's put me into a, a porn, not, no one's put my face into a, a porn context, but I've had literally, like I've had my identity, uh, you know, spoofed yeah. and, and stuff means means are easy but like i've had my i have my identity spoofed regularly and i have people um you know anonymous texting and stuff like that yeah me too someone made a fake um porn profile of me and i don't think it was at all connected to the documentary i think it was a bot i don't even know and it was a, yeah like leading it was a completely fake account which had all of my photographs all of my images followed all of my friends and then was like leading to um yeah porn, porn pages that i were not made by me um oh i mean well that's kind of brilliant i mean in a sick in, a, in an evil genius kind of way that you just run a script for people you know just regular people and you announce their only fans basically exactly yeah it sending it to other people yeah God. yeah and it's okay. and i and i think and i think that like different so but but what we've seen in terms of the, the silencing is that so few people speak out about this yeah. like the level at which this is happening versus okay so one example is that we've worked a lot with like youtubers and like asmr artists and the very first person to speak out, out about this issue in their community was GB, the incredible, complete, first, like trailblazing. The one in the movie? Yeah, who's yeah. in the movie. So that was the first time that anyone in the ASMR community or the YouTube community spoke out about deepfakes. And it was like, it, it was a catalyst, it, it catalyzed a flood. And the number of people in the community who were commenting, responding, going, this has happened to me i've never known what to do about it and and nobody had said anything for years 
And, you know, also what happened when GB spoke is that it, it validated what some of those other women were going through who had actually minimized it and, and said, just close the laptop feel the trauma, but thought, okay, I'm just not going to engage with this because there's nothing I can do. And so actually GB just saying, you know, I found it really traumatizing. I found it really scary. I found it, all of those things validated all of those like physiological responses that were happening for other people. And, and also like, you know, we've, we've spoken a lot about what we've understood about the kind of thick skin that people have to develop and like you know i guess i can speak for myself on this thing on the on the on this side of things because when i saw that form porn profile i did there was like a, there's a jolt that goes through your body there's a jolt that goes through your mind and you look at all of the people that has followed and you think oh my god that's my ex that's my this that's, you know. but actually i've been working as a kind of sex positive you know like victims advocate on this issue, I feel very comfortable with expressing like many layers of my experience. And I feel I, I can handle people depicting me in that way to a certain extent. But beneath that thick skin or that strength that you have to develop are all those other, those moments of fear, those moments of of doubt. And 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 what what it tells you about you're just safety like as a human being on this planet um and the fact that this is such a gendered problem means that we know you know amnesty international did this report called the silencing effect talking about like women who get harassed like they go quiet and we saw that so clearly with taylor because you know it could have this abuse could have led her to end her degree stop talking to her friends maybe end her relationship like the extent of the silencing can be so great so it's just not good enough that we've accepted this for the famous people in our society. You know, we have to like the, the violation against one is a violation against all. And, and we really, really, really need to fight it on all fronts. And it's interesting you actually mentioned that because it will, you know, this just makes me think, you know, the story about your, the account that was made of you, because it all just to me really boils down to it makes it clear how much it boils down to consent that that really yeah. like shook you because there's an interesting fun anecdote and just shows how dedicated a filmmaker Sophie is is at the beginning <laughs> of the produ of production of this film we were kind of trying to infiltrate the deep fake communities and um we were trying to find the sort of the 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 like com the on commission deep fake creators that if you pay them like $50 they'll make a deep fake we wanted to start like a dialogue with one of them to get more of a sense of them and Sophie obviously you know just saw that and was like we were I was like I don't know what we do she's like we just pay them to make a deep fake of me you know <laughs> and we actually didn't end up doing that but Sophie was so game for that and like you know and didn't only because I guess she was like consenting for the creation of that that video but in this other instance you know where where these person was like linking linking to pornographic videos using your face without your concern that created a totally different ex experience for you and so you know what you know i'm not opposed to deep fake pornography if all parties are consenting the the um the original porn actor and the person depicted that's fine with me but if it's if it's if uh if there's there's no consent in the sort of production of these videos then um that's when harm is being caused um and so yeah that's Oh, I mean, it's like a very simple, this is like anyone, I don't know, rational, like w with AI, with all these technological, you know, we could go backwards in time. We don't need to just talk about today. It's like as a tool, there's nothing wrong with the tool. There's nothing wrong with technology. The actual deep fake technology is not inherently evil or something like that. It's a certain way, like just the, the, uh, the Miles Fisher, Tom Cruise videos, like, 
those are awesome. You know, whatever. And like, they're both cool with it. Like, like it's, uh, well, I, th I think so, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and it, there's, I think there's also like, we're not against sort of the right to, we're not against the free speech. We're not against the sort of the, the, the rights to satire and parody. Like, we think that's really important in the discourse as things are sort of correctly labeled and there's not, um, uh and they're sort of like made in good faith there's not like a violatory aspect violatory aspect of the of the videos and i you know i'm all all for that um uh, yeah, yeah something I, that we've noticed in the um conversation especially around ai is that there is like a level of like moral panic and just the word ai or the word deepfake can trigger a very visceral response in people of fear which is understandable but you know we're like kind of slightly boringly like, plodding through the idea of like let's just separate out let's be more nuanced here let's separate out like the different scenarios and you know so actually the fact that we use deepfake technology in the film some people in the documentary community were like really freaked out by that in theory and like even people who'd kind of agreed with the project or supported the project suddenly were faced with the idea of our use of that technology and and were just there was a kind of seemingly, um, I would say, irrational, like stress about that possibility. Yeah. And we had to then like separate out like, okay, the difference between our use of the technology and the deepfakers use of technology is that every single image in the source data set and in the kind of face veil, like the person whose face is like put on top data set was created consensually and for the purpose of this film. That is so different from, you know, scraping somebody's social media Im Im yes. images. But also I think it goes to uh, these bigger questions around AI. It's like, there's such a different thing between this technology where you ha you know exactly what goes in and you know exactly what comes out. And, you know, something like ChatGPT, where we don't have oversight over all of the bajillions of words that have been, you know, that have been gathered from various different places or some of the like massive large language models where there are all these questions around like, which people's creative work have gone into that model in order to create the the patterns you know with and without their consent and the questions around ownership and around you know payment and around creativity none of that you know that exists in a very different context when you start to think about like just what is the data set whose stuff is in there and did they agree and when you break it down to that level it, we think it becomes much more manageable but it, it's been really interesting to see that like the fear take over in, in terms of these technologies and it kind of pisses me off because it actually lets the real bad guys off the hook like the same as any conspiracy theory or the same as any moral panic it's like it it, it diverts attention from the real issue which is not the, the ai technology even itself necessarily it's who's got the power to decide what the data set is and what the algorithm is trained to do and right. that's the critical thinking that we need to have i think where does it sit alongside guns don't kill people people kill people How do yeah you i mean it's that's the site i mean that's it, that makes it a little bit more 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 difficult right i i i generally i do tend to tend to think that because there is a distinction between guns or another example people throw out there is like an atomic bomb, you know, like this is this, that those like tools, if we want to call them, those are sort of like purpose built to cause harm. Like that's the, that that's their special purpose. And deep fakes are slightly distinct from that because they have the potential to cause harm, but they also have um, other, other uses. And so I think that any tool which has the sort of potential for positive uses isn't intrinsically bad. It's only the misapplication of, of that or the misuse of that, that tool or technology. 
uh, whereas technologies like bombs and guns, which are which are specifically built for 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 physical harm, I think are in a slightly different category because they don't have any really like positive use cases um, yeah. unless you're sort of pro their use. I mean, yeah. I would say that also it's about the cultural context within within which we're allowed to use them and like the the kind of frameworks around how big you know how many people have access to them you know the, the problem one of the massive problems is that if if a population if there are huge numbers of guns across the population like the chances for a mistake let alone you know intended like miss you know harmful use become exponentially bigger and i think that there is in within the ai conversation there are several layers which are all pockets which are genuinely existential like we don't know which have a kind of nuclear bomb style threat level because we genuinely don't know how the mass application of these technologies could alter how we receive information whether that could lead to polarization like if this is being fed into so many people's lives on such a huge scale then there are these questions around like do we have oversight over the algorithms objectives do we can we contain things if things start to get out of hand etc but i would say that especially with the deep fake example it's around the you know it, it's a it's it's a violence against women issue more than it's a technology issue and the the technology has made this practice of inserting people's uh, images into porn a lot easier but the thing that has allowed it to like balloon and proliferate is the fact that there is not a single law federally you know in the us and that there are only two states which have any legislation around this so and the fact that there's this law called section 230 which means that online spaces um like websites are not liable for content that third party users like post or or say so that's that's created this kind of like landscape where people can just use this tool in whatever way they want there's no regulation around that and um that that is like just insane <laughs> because because it's it's allowed you know websites like mr deepfakes to explode in the way that they have Right. I guess there's fund two fundamental criticisms of like two days ago, the guy in Maine shot up, you know, used it with his, his not AK4, AR-15 shot up all these people in his town. And one response is it's the guns. And the other response is, well, I'm sure there's tons of responses, but the two, I think most logical responses are it's the guns. And the other one is it's the fractured masculinity. You know, it's, what is wrong with these, these men, particularly white men, but, um, you know, it was serial killers back in the 70s to the 90s, and now they're mass shootings and uh, incel, you know, trolls and hackers and deep fakers and stuff. Like, so I, I don't know, I guess, you know, Ruben, with your example of like, guns don't kill people, people kill people. It's like, we're still left with, well, what do we do about it? And mm -hmm. They like responsibility, accountability, maybe accountability, better word than responsibility, but like making, putting it on the tech, the tech companies to be held accountable for damage. Yeah, I, think, I actually think it, it, the, the example maps on quite well because it's about both. It's about both mm. things and it's about how they come together and it's about the accessibility of the gun for somebody who might be, yeah, radicalized or whatever. And then it's also, so like it's the, pipeline 
for the you know it's the the structures around around that pipeline but it's also one thing that we think about with deep faking is think about like what's likely to actually change this culture and this situation and if we of course there needs to be individual accountability and therefore we do think that there should be like it should be illegal to make deep fakes non-consensual porn of of people but actually in order to really change this culture like if you try and go after each individual person and criminalize them and you know maybe like put them in prison or, or whatever like that's not fundamentally going to change the culture the thing that will have the bigger real reach is to shut down the places where the community is building and brewing and 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 kind of you've got to you know you've got to start with the next generation who maybe there's like a load of boys at the moment unfortunately who are sharing deep fakes of, of people in their classroom because they just don't even have any voice saying like this is not acceptable like this is abuse they don't they might not even be fully aware of that so that's why we really want to focus on those like structural factors like the tech companies and the platforms that are allowing the culture to grow because yeah you it's like whack-a-mole otherwise you can mm -hmm. keep bashing down the individual heads but the root causes will remain the same exactly and the causes are so complex you know like we can't just point at one thing and say like this is the cause because then it only really provides like one solution and one solution is not gonna not gonna do that much you know like not there's not one thing which is going to fix this issue it's just like working on a number of fronts uh, right. to try to improve the situation to reduce harm and we can reduce harm i don't think we can't end the creation of, of non-consensual deepfakes but we can reduce the amount of harm uh, and the number of non-consensual deepfakes significantly. Um, and so that's what we're we're trying to do. Create a, have a law to create a new ethical standard, even though we're not, we don't think it's gonna be that effective and are not pro-carceral uh, punishment. Um, uh, but yeah, target the sort of the, target the platforms that host this content and drive people to uh, to this content. And important, really importantly is get get our film and uh, the rights of the, like educational materials into to schools to try and influence the next generation to make them understand that this this type these like virtual crimes, digital crimes cause really cause real harm. Um, and I don't know, I meant to, to uh, I think and ending misogyny seems like a bit of a, a, a feat for uh, <laughs> For for us, but you know, I, I think any any of the work which is done to to um, dissuade men from sort of seeing women as women as objects or women as like you know uh, as feeling entitled to to sort of women's bodies and and time um, and mental energies, all of this work I think will will help sort of in the reduction of of uh, deep fake abuse in ways that some of them are stochastic you know like hard to identify but it's like as we change the culture i think all of these things will will improve and we are changing the culture slowly yeah what status of legislation yeah it's 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 a it's a really good interesting question and we've been thinking a lot in the last week about i think we've been reflecting over our experience as activists as well as filmmakers and often when you're you know pushing a cause really the, the the most painful thing that you have to deal with is batting you know banging down doors that are just being slammed in your face but actually with this issue there has been quite a lot of goodwill and interest from you know the powers that be and um we don't know yet what the details will be but um the white house is announcing um their like first next step in terms of an ai strategy on monday and they've invited some of our survivors Etc. to go and um, we don't know what, what that's going to be but it, it seems 
very possible that they're going to do something about deep fakes and it's been so interesting how complex that's felt for us actually because you know we believe in this and we've really interrogated like our belief in the fact that um the to really stop this problem like we do think that there needs to be a law um addressing deep fakes but because it, it, what it's made us realize is how complex it is when you start to actually get into the world of developing solutions not just highlighting what the problem is because it's going to be so imperfect and it's going to be fraught with things that you're not happy about and you know we want to be pushing to change the system as well as to change the specific issue and so you know i would separate out like um a criminal code which says these are the things in our society that are acceptable and that are not acceptable and then the regime of punishment that goes around that and so massively be advocating for like restorative justice you know community-based solutions like there's a lot of different things we can separate out like these are the things that are not acceptable to do and then there's a whole other conversation about okay well what happens when that is breached and um and also you know engaging with um institutions is complex as an activist where you want to be removed actually because i don't condone many of the many of the things that the white house is doing honestly and um and it's quite complex to be you know then almost invited in to a certain extent and what does that mean about can we retain our critical distance can we retain our authenticity within within that context but whilst also really believing that our voices are, are valuable and our voices are helping to push things in the right direction and that we can at least ask really hard questions and that may or may not have a tangible impact but but you know if those if those critical voices are not there then how how do we even like who is questioning the system and who is questioning you know how things operate um so yeah it seems like i also think that the other thing that we've really noticed is that there have been this legislative shift so there has been deepfakes are now illegal in the uk and there's a lot of questions around how that's going to be in, in, uh, implemented but there's a real feeling based on the people that we've been speaking to you know let's say who are um in discussions with like google i think that tech companies are realizing that their ownership over the internet as a wild wild west is crumbling and that new more nuance and more legislation like is coming into that field and that's only happened because of these like legislative advancements so that's another thing that we see we can see the power dynamic beginning to shift in a way that we could never have believed was possible five years ago like honestly it seems they seem so monolithic um so we really celebrate like this movement which has been completely um led by survivor leaders um but yeah there's there's a there's a whole load of other questions debates ethical and feelings that actually come into play when you kind of get some of the things that you want as an activist which has been really interesting over the last week show might be frozen oh yeah i got some more to it's working. Oh, you're back. I'm back. Yeah, you're back. Okay. Sorry, I don't know what just happened. My Wi-Fi, I think, just cut out. No problem. Oh, still recording. 
All is right. it still recording? It yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay. Sorry about that. Anyway. Um, You're good. 325. Let me mark that. Anyway. Okay. Um, did, did you finish your thought? I didn't want to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. What about the SAG after strike and their issues? Have that been, have you had conversations about that? Yeah, people, I mean, people ask, people ask us uh, a lot about, about that. Or I've been asked a lot about that. And it's not something I'm an expert on. I think that when I do talk about it, people are kind of expecting expertise because I'm like working in the space of AI. Although, and the specifics of that for me is just like, it's, I've read, I've read up about it. I have a fairly firm understanding of it, but I don't have an in-depth understanding of it at all. So everything I sort of say is kind of conjecture. Um, I I think that the, the, the concerns are certainly valid, although I would, I do think that, I do think that storytelling will be one of the last, like one of, is one of the things which resists AI the most, only because it is like so uh, founded on, on, on something which is essentially human, you know, which is like the emotional like flows of it can't be, I, I think, re recreated unless you're doing something which is really painted, paint by numbers anyway, which like, um, but I think it is very important that, uh, oh, you said the SAG rather than uh, the Writers Guild. Or either. My bad. Let's just start that again. I my my head went. Um, <laughs> both, um, both yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, for, yeah, for SAG Afro, I think that's really, really important to put it to put to, like protections in place because I mean, I just, again, I don't think that like you know the lead actors are going to be yeah. replaced by 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 AI for most films. I think there will be sort of exceptions to that, um, but background actors certainly will. It's going to be so much easier to and cheaper to uh, uh, get, scan someone's sort of like likeness and then just insert them into a background in a virtual production studio uh, rather than pay for their petrol and, and lunch and a full day rate for them. Um, and so that is definitely gonna happen. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, actors will have their like likeness, will, will sort of sell their likeness to film productions. Cause you know, after this strike, when all the top actors are gonna have, you know, 15 films who are just like clawing at them clawing at them because they've sort of talked about potentially doing the film after the strike and they just don't have the time to fit it into their schedule. You know, there are situations like this exist and if you can ultimately replicate yourself, then like, you know, there will be pressure once the AI has the sort of cap capabilities of doing that for actors to do that. Then, you know, a lot of producers care more, more about the name than they do about the talent. And so, um, yeah, I think, it's, it's, yeah. I think it's so important that that, that 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 is that these protections are sort of being fought for at this moment and moment in time because if we don't define the laws now and i mean this in every sense i mean this in sort of like you know federal legislation but i also mean in the uh in specific industries if we don't define our, like uh the way we're going to work with ai at this point in time and people start these practices start to develop it's very so much harder to reverse it's so much harder to go backwards on something which has already begun than it is to sort of like uh uh lay the sort of the path for the way forward and so I'm so so. It's great that they're fighting this fight right now. Um, it's good. Get ahead of it because technology moves so quickly. Yeah, they signed an open letter today that said they'd rather keep this going than sign a bad deal, which is freaking mm. out. That yeah. They agree. Yeah. I think I'm slightly more pessimistic than you are, Ruben, though, about the writers because yeah. I feel like I feel like I. 
I, I agree with you and I feel that so deeply, but I think that you, there needs to be like a media landscape where people are connecting to that like humanity and truth in the storytelling that we have. And honestly, some of the films <laughs> that come out could have been written by AI. You know what I mean? Because they're built in this way where they are paint by numbers to a certain extent. And that, so it's like thinking about the need to create like, uh, a, a viewer like thinking about the our responsibility as audiences to you know be <laughs> be connecting like really deeply with the things that we're consuming rather than like I don't know doing the ironing with like a show on in the background or, or, or whatever and I think that it's just I've been so surprised by how good AI has got already at writing like really really that's been the thing that shocked me I think I've always experienced writing as the most almost human art form of you know experiencing somebody else's mind in a certain in a certain way and that like connection that I felt like as a bookworm child with like the voices of a book has felt so like fundamental but I think that um it's really possible I think it's really possible for I think what you're saying Ruben is that like we just don't know we don't know how some of these technologies are gonna develop yeah. we don't know how good they're gonna get but they're they're better than I think we would have predicted predicted um and so I think yeah we need to just take it slow in all of these senses and we need to start figuring out I think it's actually a great example like real world example and actually the um actors is a great real world example of like okay so what does consent mean when somebody's estate is being managed by their relatives after after their death? What does consent mean when they might agree to being part of this one project, but then you know we cannot have a situation where they've like given their face up like ad infinitum for, forever? And what, what what would it mean? What would the scenario be that like if everybody has signed a contract with their agent, with their you know studio or whatever, saying yeah you can use my likeness however you want forever, and then their image is ballooning and popping up absolutely everywhere? Like what does that do? Does that like saturate the landscape does that create like a world in which the real presence has a different meaning like I can see a world in which the industry splits even more into the kind of monolithic like sausage factory of the mostly AI generated content which is being churned out there will always be an independent film industry there will always be people making films with heart and soul um but you know those those paths could diverge even more and like what is the finance of that what is the model of that and how are we training like new people into the industry you know that's the thing that i think scares me the most with the writers is like you know just jumping ahead and then you know not having any pathways like into the industry but like final thing is that there's also this ai concept that i find really interesting called like inshitification which is basically saying that Right now, we're like in this first blooming of these technologies. So they've got like the entire um, existence of human history to draw from in the data sets. So what they're coming up with is really good because it's like, and it's learning at a very quick rate because it's one working out how to take things from that. But if you keep putting into the same system, um, more AI generated content, you actually don't know what will happen to that data pool and how that will affect, you know, what's being like churned out at the other end. You know, one scenario is that like when things become, if it gets to a point where it's like 50% AI generated content, 50% human content, one scenario is that like it just stops working. It just becomes a, reduct a reduction of a reduction of a reduction of a reduction and like nothing new actually comes out of that. One theory is maybe there's a new form of AI creativity that we genuinely cannot predict that is like beyond our human imagination. And then another theory is that it just gets shitter and shitter. So what happens in five years time in terms of these machines, like we just do not know. 
So yeah, mm -hmm. it's no say everything that they had to say and then the sophomore album is like hey all we have is the last year of going on tour but yeah the first, you know it's school, so true first, yeah it's album so true record deal yeah, yeah. i know and i agree it, it makes me think is that and and like not to be almost a little bit facetious here but i feel like there is a world i'm really curious about like what would a fundamentally ai creativity be in relation to human creativity like what are the real differences between these algorithms and us like obviously we have bodies so everything is fed through our, our body but there's like a world in which the comparisons are worth interrogating and the you know as you say like the things that we hate in ai are really things that we hate in ourselves it's like the ai biases that are being revealed are our biases that are being you know put that are being filtered through and made made more visible in these systems and the, and similarly that i think that's actually such a great example of you know in terms of like the sophomore album but what happens when that dynamic is occurring and the landscape, like the the generation landscape that it's occurring within, is like eighty percent of the music. Yeah. <laughs> you're not getting I, like I, new I, people I, in. So I, you know, and I think this is a really interesting one. So like now, when you're looking at these large language models, which take up you know from all the texts through all of history, which is again, it's an overstatement, but it's like there's no, they're not, there's not localized, they're not specific, they're sort of like data sets, and the same goes with these AI image generation. They're taking from everything, and so that feels like that those circumstances like that that data set which is just like universal so so large doesn't feel like it could recreate the nuances of human experience however you know take this as a hypothetical situation is if you very like limit and like localize a data set sort of recreate like a uh uh a hyper specific sort of like you know almost like grounded lived experience through the stuff that you're feeding into it then you can imagine it's like starting to produce more human feeling content. And what I say mean by that is like, you know, everyone is writing from a certain position, even if they're even if they're not recreating their own experience. But you could contain the data set which AI is sort of like working with, the model that it's working with, it to only sort of contain things which feel very relevant to a particular person. You can kind of like almost create like fake memories by having feeding it in a certain sort of like like pattern patterns and experiences and sort of like, you know, only from a certain neighborhood and things that only occurred in a certain neighborhood and from that pertain to like a family of a divorced family uh, with two siblings. And then you actually start to sort of like recreate like a, sp a specific localized intelligence. It'd be very interesting to see what the output of that is in relation to these large language models, which are sort of diffuse and a bit like have no um, uh, sort of specific direction. Yeah, I think that if you watch if you just take the content that goes out there, if you follow a bunch of, you know, Instagram, like AI Instagram accounts, and, you know, you see what the art that gets reshared, that gets, you know, what we have an affinity for, uh, this is my personal take. This isn't, you know, objected by any measure. So feel free to disagree. But it seems that the, it seems that AI has decided that 1982 New York City cinematography is the best of all time and it, it makes everything go into that sort of like if it look it looks there's a grittiness there's a, there's something with the it, it makes it look like that it makes it look like 1982 cinematography like sort of taxi driver and the movies that followed that from up until like the mid 80s so much of the ai um script or whatever brings the visuals to that does that 
I, you know, Sophie, as you were saying that the scenarios, I hadn't thought about it this way. Like, we're not going to be excited about looking at those images, you know, a year from now. Like, they look cool today. Mm. But what what's happened is that it's like even the ones I don't know, like you see the accounts where it's like Barack Obama with a machine gun or whatever. Like, it's Barack Obama with a machine gun in 1982 cinematography, though. It, so it's like it's not Barack Obama in 2023 cinematography. It looks like 1982. The whole thing, the way it's lit, the way the streets are slicked, the way there's all these there's all these visual mise-en-scene choices that are made that were around the the mid early 80s. And does that last? Because because we don't, you know. So AI decided that's the best. That is the highest affinity level. I, I haven't. I'm just talking out loud right now. I have not thought about it in the in the way that you described. Of like, because we we get bored with images, and yeah. we people. You know, I'm 39 years old. I think those images look amazing. Those are my favorite movies. They're always my favorite movies. The records that came out around the year 1999 are always. I'm going to be able to sing them forever. You know, because I was it was in high school and I loved that stuff. But you know, to someone who's 25 today they they don't care about those things the same way and their tastes are going to move on so they might be wowed by the image today but their affinity is going to shift will ai shift with that affinity and a year from now will we be seeing images that are you know based in i, I don't know another era another i don't know it makes a lot of sense because i know as a, as a film student like i talk about this all the time that like the 60s were when we sort of like peaked art in, in film. The 70s were when we peaked production. And the 80s were when that was out of the way already. We had established those. There weren't, there was no more, it wasn't about competition with that. And also there were tons of resources pumped in. There were hundreds of cinematographers who were experts at this point. You can get an incredible cinematographer shooting, you know, a, a B-horror movie. And so these 80s movies started to be just style. They did to prove you, you didn't necessarily go to the movies to have a perfect production and you didn't necessarily go to have you know to be art on the wall like you did in the 60s because those things had been said already so they were left with let me make it personal let me i i know that i know that it's going to look great and, and so, so they had that already in the bag and they just exuded style and that's why i think these movies in in the early 80s were so i i think they're incredible i love them and I think that's why AI loves them too, is because that was when we had mastered so many things and it got into sort of like this, um, this period of post mastery. These movies were not making, the, the point of it was not the mastery, it was the idiosyncrasy. And that would be why an AI image would, would succeed. Would, would create an idiosyncrasy, not mastery. No one's gonna look at it and be like, oh my God, it's photorealistic. They don't care. That's been, they're going to look at and be like, whoa, I could have never thought about a fat guy kicking an alligator with pizza. Oh my God. Like, but the fat guy kicking the alligator with pizza looks like 1982 also. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know why that exists, but it's, yeah. a, it's interesting that you, you know, I mean, also, cause you think that if you were to talk about that as these periods of like mastery and then idiosyncrasy, I guess, I mean, it's has been said and it's a little bit trite and it's a bit imperfect, but we are kind of like the, in the era of pastiche, which is the perfect time for AI to come about, which is like, you know, ultimately just, just all it can really do is pastiche because it's working from an existing sort of data set. So it's reproducing familiar, familiar images. Um, and so maybe that's why we have this like fascination with it at, at this moment in time. 
Um, and maybe that would shift if we sort of move into a new era of, of you know, artistic innovation. Although I don't know if there's a like, huge signs of that happening. People seem to be pretty contented with with pastiches at this point in time. Why not? You know, I like a good pastiche. Why not? That's 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 fine. But um, yeah, we'll 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 see about that. If uh, yeah, if there's no like. If the if the uh, if the AI technology is like not having any sort of new material to work from because all we're sort of doing is reproducing what we've done what we've already sort of seen from from times past and and I don't even just mean with if it's you start feeding in AI images but like uh, is it going to be able to sort of invent new forms new style like ha what happened in the in the eighties I don't know and like actually it's like people are like oh that's absolutely impossible but I saw there was a really amazing AI art piece at MoMA I don't know if it's still there this was a while ago it was like maybe six months ago by Refik Anadol called it Unsupervised. And it was like trained on all of the art in MoMA's collection. Um, the, the big, yeah, the huge yeah. wall, you see that, it was, it was incredible. And it was like, really and weird. from that, it was sort of like responding to environmental triggers, like how many people are in the room, like what the temperature was outside, how much wind there was, how much noise there were. And these, this massive data set in dialogue with the sort of environmental triggers was basically producing new images and the images were you know at times are sort of uncannily, uncannily familiar but at times like totally new like nothing you'd ever seen before like really felt like a new like art, art like artwork and style and it was very mesmerizing to, to watch i really loved it um yeah I think that goes to my point about like what would an ai creativity look like and i think that some people are very afraid of that idea but i'm actually just curious i feel like it could help us understand more what human creativity is to have an example of a different kind in in a way i i do think that the real threat That's, of ai yeah ai were to open up you know we have like um when we write scripts whether we're trying to or not, like when we write screenplays, whether we're trying to or not, we are responding to a form that has that is hundreds of years old. And we are, you know, most most screenwriters are working with beat sheets and outlines and stuff that has been, you know, we're, we're reading Blake Snyder or, you know, Robert McKee or whatever, and we're following those things literally. Some writers are doing it unconsciously, but they are absolutely doing it unconsciously. If they say they're not doing it, they are. No, no one is you're living in the world you know you're absorbing it and you're responding to it by writing so if ai were capable of of like you said bringing us something that were beyond that i mean cool like, yeah. <laughs> i would love to see a new form yeah exactly yeah. exactly and i think that that's where it comes to like the I guess the, the scary parts are around are more mundane in a way. So I wonder how that conversation is going to evolve because it's around, well, having this tool that's very good and very cheap at doing like simple, you know, doing the first draft of, of whatever, make it much harder for new screenwriters to emerge because they, they don't have that way into the technology or will you know chat gpt being used to write like so many people's essays could that like encode ideas in their minds or if we're all going to these resources for you know information uh, but we don't have the the oversight over what those that information is really built on how could that what would, would what might we be imbibing because i believe that we're all so gullible <laughs> and so led down the garden path like if you look at how algorithms and also what we forget about ai is that like we're already massively ai is 
everywhere. Like it's in so many algorithms. It's being used, we're interacting with it on such a huge scale, on such a daily scale. Um, and if you look at like the possibility for people to be like radicalized on YouTube and the amount of time that we spend like consuming content, you know, those are the things that I find scary, but they're scary like in terms of the the things that are already happening they're scary in terms of you know the fact that algorithms already are built for profit making you know the youtube algorithm is the great example of the fact that it's we know that it radicalizes people we know that it pulls people down into like much darker um political perspectives and it like aims to literally suck as much time from you as is humanly possible and the the structure that is that we need to critique is the is that that like profit making objective like all of these things could be used in such exciting mm. ways but i doubt that they will end up creating that like landscape if the intention is always going to be like maximizing shareholder profits and the way is that the other thing is like it's you know it, ai really sounds like this this thing of the future you know it sounds it, it sounds like all this is going to do is bring about progress for society progress and potential harms that come with, well, with that's it. If, if it's what it's doing if it's like enshrining the, the historical uh, historical politics it's using like data from the from the past and if that's going to be, so what we're going to do is like rather than sort of progressing from a uh political or, or so like a sociological um uh uh sorry progressing our society in a way through culture through politics through um other even like i don't know i'm not spiritual but in a spiritual sort of capacity which is like an, an important for many people that's not going to happen if if all we do if we design our sort of like world around a technology which is just it's just uh pulling out elements of the past and spitting spewing them out into the future so i think it's a really important to think about how we're designing the way that ai uh software sort of interact with our history and with the sort of our historical data to ensure that the, our movement forward is sort of positive and in the direction that we want that we don't sort of stagnate um in these sort of like political fa uh ways yeah i think about the time that i first heard sophie the artist the english artist I was, it was, it would have been 2011 or 2012, something like that. And I don't know, around then, early 2010s. And Duke Dumont's agent sent it to me. And it was in like a, it was in an email. It was like just a, an MP3. It was like a rough, it was a demo. And I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, I think it was BIP. I think that was the first demo. Um, and it was sounds you know it was it was it sounded like uh you know it wasn't it was it wasn't dubstep it was something else because this, this was after skrillex had happened so this wasn't like completely but it sounded like it was just like what is this shit? and i was about to be like fuck off and then i second guessed it i second guessed myself for a second because i was like wait this came from one of my favorite artists agents and i like this guy a lot he's got great taste maybe there's something here and i listened again and i was like oh this is the future and the end i like it like it all came to me into, i was like the, the combo of the sounds and the melodies i was like oh my god i've never this is this is the the, the pinnacle um and i knew immediately it took it, it first i first i was like ignored it 
And then once I sort of erased my mind and was like, why, like, open yourself up. Why did this person send this to you? What is brilliant about this? Because he says it's brilliant. What is, and then I immediately got it. Like on next listen, the synthesis that Sophie generated, can AI do that? Could AI do that? I don't know. I, yeah. Who Wait, fucking knows, honestly? I have no idea. But I think, I think that, I think that it's possible. However, I think that occurred to me in my brain, the sound, the music that Sophie made before I heard it, my brain would never have conceptualized what Sophie conceptualized. And that was what was so holy shit moment of it. Right. Yeah. Totally. Just I mean, one thing on one thing on so <laughs> correction. Yeah. Sophie was Scottish. So they would be yeah. very upset <laughs> to, <laughs> to have her claimed by the Brits. Did so, I say you said British, but I'm like, as a, as a, as a half Scot, I'm like, we're going to claim it, that for Scotland. I did, I, did I did the same thing for the Berlinale Talents app. They were like, uh, write about like one filmmaker who's like from your country. And I wrote about Lynn Ramsey. I was like, if Lynn Ramsey knew that as, a, as an English person I was doing that, uh, she, like, her head would blow off. You know? <laughs> right? But I think that there is, I, I think that as we, we've spoken about this, like curiosity around what AI creativity may look like, but if I'm being honest, I think slash maybe hope, I don't know, that there may be a, like a flattening effect. Because I do think that, you know, I am spiritual, <laughs> unlike Ruben. And I think that there is something about the way stimuli like pass through our bodies that is so special and so I don't know. I, I don't know. It's it's something that I'm really interested in because on one side, I feel like there's this like, I don't know, channeling that humans can do, which the most creative moments in in my life have definitely been almost like embodied experiences, not just intellectual experiences. And AI is, you know, it's neural networks. It's kind of recreating in a way a, a brain, but it doesn't have the same um, like sensory capacities, but then there is also a completely, to be completely uh, not give a like straight answer whatsoever to that question is on another level, I, I do go to these places of almost thinking in such a broad way about this, that like we are composed of electrons that are whizzing around, we are like a biological system and the, 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 the the nature of what is going on there like the embodied experience is us like receiving something um and 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 maybe an ai neural network could also like be a, a channel but i think that what it does in general i think that these are like the capacities of it but i think that the way that it will be used in culture and the like real um functioning of it like as a tool is very likely to have a flattening effect because what is the way that this incredible and powerful tool is being like um, deployed is 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 not to create is not coming in with that objective that Sophie had of well, it's like Netflix reinventing like, exactly with an algorithm it's the same it's the same thing 
yeah but and also maybe from like an accelerator because i also i mean i'm maybe being hopeful here being an optimist but i do kind of feel like people people are getting a little bit tired of of the painting by numbers of these you know uh, uh formulaic sort of new tv shows and movies that are coming out which is sort of decided on totally based on uh an invisible algorithm of a streaming I mean, site like netflix and I really don't then know. ai comes in and sort of makes that so much worse like the accelerationist in me not a political accelerationist but the accelerationist like from an accelerationist perspective it's like people this could actually bring about a new age of creativity where people get so tired of this sort of like flattened work that there's a new there's a new call for uh for, for creativity for artists who are working well, in the independent totally. space and people will take risks like they did in the uh, 60s and 70s in the world well, more the other thing and again US like, we're going so big here but another thing that i wanted to say earlier was you know i don't have thought about this like there is a world in which ai is the one thing that could help us bring down capitalism to a certain extent because it takes what it does it like it takes things that were already there and then as Ruben says, accelerates and it pushes things to an extreme and it forces us to confront things that were already there. So that's already happening with like Dali in terms of algorithmic bias, like the conversation around um, do we correct what's in this data set? This data set is all of the images that, that we have of, let's say I put in a Dali prompt, like an engineer and the image that comes back is predominantly white and male. Um, that is because the image of what uh, an engineer is based on what Dali has been fed is predominantly white and male. But at this moment, because of the amplification effect or the kind of acceleration effect, we have the choice of, do we want that to be the, the vision of the future that we choose? And it's the same thing with like, you know, the way in which these algorithms, if left to, uh, you know, aim to only maximize shareholder profits, the, the potential devastation of that is so great that it does get to a point where there is it, it creates a choice where you have to decide how you want to program the system um mm. the the ai system so yeah. that's the like ultimate you know utopian hope that this yeah. could unleash i agree yeah, but there's a, i mean it's a bit you, accelerationism is a bit tricky it's like let's bring about the end of the world to sort of be reborn i the suffering, suffering along the way is quite extreme. No, um, that, that's talking about acceleration as, as in a, not that's yeah. not necessarily relevant to this context, where yeah, yeah. it basically gives you an opportunity to um, to to witness the biases that exist and like a choice about yeah. whether you want to keep going. And and yeah. if the AI hadn't existed, then those biases would have continued to be replicated in the image landscape that we're experiencing. Mm. We just now can see that because of the way that the AI is like filtering that that. Point. Yeah. Yeah, they are really brought into relief by it. Um, how? I mean, when is this scheduled for? Because I've got a call in five no, minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Is, let, is yeah. that okay if I jump jump off? No, I, totally. Yeah. Um, we'll tell people where the movie's playing and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so we're about to we open tonight at the Lemney Royal in LA, and we're there for a week, and then we're at October twenty seventh. By the way. Oh, October 27th, yes, it's not going out today. October 27th, then November 2nd at Vidiots, and then November 15th at Brain Dead. We're rolling out to a bunch of other select theaters across the country. You yeah. can find out more information on that at anotherbodyfilm.com. And if you uh, you can view us online um, uh, by renting us or buying a, a permanent copy of us from Apple TV or Amazon. Um, and that's all in the US. We're gonna We're opening up in Canada uh next month and and the uk and a whole bunch of other territories around the world so yeah, yeah follow us on instagram another body film 
um, for updates about that. Yeah. Awesome. And thank you so much, Sean. I've loved yeah. this conversation. It's so nice to be um, talking about AI and deepfakes and being allowed to not just answer the same four questions that we've had in every other interview, but like possibly pontificate with very little substance <laughs> because we've been thinking so much about this in the last couple of years. So thank you for like unleashing yeah. our most um, <laughs> pontificating selves. I love I love a good ra ram ramble. I was called Ramblin Hamlin when I was at school. So this is this has been this has been a great experience for me, Sean. What what are the four? What are the four questions? Um it's it's um like what like are you okay with the fact that you use the you use the technology in the film in the film? Yes. Uh. Um I mean it's basically that. And then it's um people are, are very worried about AI and um, people just don't understand AI like at all. There's just a very, under, you know, it's it's complex and there's many different like um, like parts to it, but there's just a lot of like fear-based questions around, will this take our future? And, you know, I think that there are just so many fascinating and complex like strands to this conversation. Um, so that's been a great thing to, maybe like extrapolate a little bit and like exactly. get some of those out. The AI isn't a monolith, it's not just like one technology, you know. Um yeah. yeah, which which is important to clarify. Yeah. Well cool. really excited the movie's out. It's gotten a wonderful response. Uh we you know we showed the preview at our show a few weeks ago and obviously have been presenting the uh the opening in New York and LA right now. Um, I hope you have a blast tonight. I'm sorry I'm not there with you. And uh, onward. I, mean, I, yeah. I can't wait where the film goes and to see if legislation happens and all that stuff. I think it's really important. I think it's crazy that it hasn't happened yet. So I'm happy y'all are putting in the work. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for, for everything. Really Thank you so that. much. Yeah. Really, like, really, really grateful. And just, yeah. And I hope that that you can go and do a bit more nature nature immersion and yeah oh, wow. right now yeah. it's just seven degrees sun came out so perfect <laughs> and hopefully meet again in person at some point along along the along mm -hmm. the journey yeah I, I live in new york so i'll come to i've been so busy now the oh. film's like gonna over i have a bit of a life again so i'll come to the next reunion um to it. yeah yeah it's a great oh. community you're building yeah I have a blast tonight, clearly. Thank I look you. Thanks, Sean. See you. Bye. Bye.